Very pleased to welcome Li Ling Pang to the show today. Li Ling, like most of us, is trapped within the walls of her home. Li Ling, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's so nice to see your face. Indeed, yeah. Very so grateful for this technology. Just uh, sometimes I imagine like what how this how different this situation would look without technology for a lot of reasons. The the human connection piece, but also just the ability to spread information and unfortunately spread misinformation, but it can spread mm-hmm. so so quickly. Yeah, for sure. Um, I have been taking the time to really reconnect with friends all over the country and actually all over the world because it's like the one time that everyone has all their weekend activities and evening activities canceled. <laughs> <laughs> and suddenly it's like, hey, we can actually all be available at the same hour and get on Zoom. So we actually did that with 20 people who mm-hmm. we met on a on a big um, uh, uh, humanitarian ship that we volunteered on about 20 years ago. And we did that yesterday and 20 of us were able to um, get online with from seven different countries. It was awesome. <laughs> and was it a pretty relaxed conversation? Yeah, we were. We actually hadn't really reconnected with everyone at one time um, in all those twenty years. Because you can imagine people being in all sorts of different countries. A lot of them are working in developing countries as well, and um, we we haven't really kind of had an update from each other. So it was neat to see everyone's families and find out, you know, what's happened with them from over the past 20 years. So it was awesome. Yeah. Well, like you said, under normal, quote unquote, normal circumstances, it would be next to impossible to get all those people together. But now most of us have nothing but time, really. I've, I've been on a few of those calls, too, with, with friends and my wife as well. And they just tend to linger on and they're just very relaxed. No one has anywhere to be. No one's rushing to, mm-hmm. to do this or that or the other thing. It's just the, the conversations can just, can just go on and with a relatively low amount of pressure to do other things because there's nothing yeah. else to do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you, you said something to me. So we'll, we'll get into your, your backstory a little bit in a second. But you, ta- you said something to me earlier about how having traveled kids who have traveled gives them a greater flexibility and perhaps can, can help them through this uncertain time. Tell me more about that. Yeah. So our family um, has traveled fairly widely as you can imagine, because we do family travel, but um, we've done a wide variety of travel. So obviously we do really enjoy the staying in a luxury hotel and, you know, being at a nice resort, but um, we've often peppered in, you know, all levels of travel from like really kind of roughing it out um, in Guatemala. There were times when, you know, we were essentially staying in what a backpacker would stay in, you know, that kind of hotel and um, all the way to, you know, being on luxury cruise lines and stuff like that. Right. So I think the kids have just really learned to sort of go with the flow and when um, we were in um, traveling for six months, we had to take school on the road. And, you know, there were days where we didn't homeschool at all. And then there were days where homeschool looked like, um, you know, being in a national park or um, doing nature drawing and or going to, you know, a really cool macadamia nut farm. That was cool. But then we also had 
times when we needed to report back to our teachers and we would literally sit in a hotel room and just knock it out, you know? So I think the kids just really love to be flexible. It was hard at times. And there were times I had to pull the teacher card and be, and say, <laughs> you know, your know teacher's really expecting you to do this, even if you don't want to do it for me. But I think um, I learned to adapt. I learned to change my expectations of what school looked like. And they also learned to sort of adapt to different situations. And sometimes you're working in a hammock and sometimes you're working, you know, at a desk. And sometimes there are a lot of people around you. And I think that all of them, all of those experiences really kind of prepared the kids for this sudden and unexpected transition. And yes, it is hard. Um, because of other complexities like, you know, each teacher kind of having different expectations and the gobs and gobs of email and all that that, he, that us as parents have to deal with. But I think maybe sort of the, the, the shift in sort of, hey, you know, school doesn't always have to look one way was really helpful. I think that the, the previous experience of it was helpful for us. So. And that's interesting. You and I have had some of these conversations previous to this about just the, the general expectations of school and how we believe that not necessarily the institution of school as, as it exists now is a bad thing. We've mm-hmm. just talked about how there's, there's, there's other ways to do it. There's you know, a million different ways that you can educate your child. And there's a lot of them that neither is, one is nor good nor bad. I think this is really bringing that into focus for a lot of people yeah. to where like the institution of school Monday through Friday September to, to June. That's just what we do. That's just, there's no, there's no other way around that. And then now we're saying there is another way, not that this is ideal either, but just talk about, you know, just the, just the general expectations and anything that might, what do you think might survive from this? Like new, these new skills, these new ways to interact. Well, I think one of the things um, is that the, the teachers are also learning to bring everything online Um, And when we were traveling and having to communicate with our teachers, we used certain tools like, for example, my youngest was in kindergarten at that time. And, you know, it was in kindergarten. The majority of what you're trying to do is read a lot Um, and, you know, filling up those reading logs. And because we were traveling all the time, we didn't want to carry tons of books with us. So um, we used Epic. and it basically is a um, digital library and actually logs all of your reading for you. So, um, you know, when all of this happened, we kind of went back to that and sort of said, hey, you know, Epic is offering um, free subscriptions to schools. Like, this is, this is great, right? We can kind of go back to that, um, have access to a lot of different books, and the reading log is being recorded. So that's kind of you know, one of the tools that has kind of resurfaced, um, I think also the use of Google Classroom and Google Docs to sort of share the plan for the week. That's a lot of what we did when we were traveling as well. It was super useful to be able to communicate with the teachers and say, hey, this is our plan for the week and this is what we're, we're doing. And it's a dynamic sort of document. Um, so I think some of those um, ways of communicating between teachers and parents will will probably um, survive and hopefully it gives some framework for when a family wants to do a longer term trip or an independent study and um, that they're ready um, some 
frameworks for how they can be schooling from far away. So I'm hopeful. <laughs> I am as well. Now, Li Ling, over at your website at trekaroo.com, you have put together a resource and I assume it's a growing resource. It's Right now it's yes. over, over 60 is where we're at right now. This is yes. March the 30th. Over 60 online learning resources, including, and you talk about taking advantage of some of the virtual tours, museums and attractions. What makes, in your mind, what makes a great virtual experience when it comes to virtual travel? Yeah, I mean, I think it there's so many different tools and they sort of meet different needs, right? Um, there are definitely sort of virtual classes that people can take a whole curriculum online. Um, and I think that's really great if you are trying to, if your school is not offering um, any curriculum and you're sort of thinking, oh my gosh, I need to come up with the math curriculum and I need to come up with the science curriculum. I think that's really nice for parents to have that structure already figured out because actually like trying to figure out curriculum for, for different age kids all at one time is very, very challenging if you're not a teacher. Um, so I think that that kind of resource is great for that. Um, but then there are these other types of resources that are filling in certain gaps where it's, whether it's an art class or um, I've had, there've been so many amazing experts who are also trapped in their <laughs> homes right now, or, you know, where they can go into um, their office at the zoo or um, a museum and there's no one else there and they can take the time to show you around, share their expertise and, I think that's a really exciting way in this season for us to engage with the world, with these experts, without actually being there and not feeling like your world has closed in onto the, just the four walls of your house, you know? So yeah, I, I've been really excited about seeing some of the, the videos. I mean, they may not even be Prof- very professionally produced, but like you're getting a chance to hear right. from like the he- head of the end space museum. Like that's so awesome. My friend of mine and I had a, had an idea that we just get teach like security guards. If there's like some of these museums that are on lockdown, if they have like a night security guard to just flip on his or her phone and do virtual mm-hmm. tours, like the security. Cause like you said, whether it's the curator of the museum or the overnight security guard, the place is empty and they've got it to themselves. It's like you may never get the opportunity to see a place like that in that condition again. Not that you would want this to ever happen again. But yeah. are, there any, are there any that were particularly special, anything you've engaged with online that was you thought was just particularly impactful? Not necessarily about, about quality, like you said, but just right. it really made an impact. Yeah, Um So I really like Discovery Education. So Discovery Channel has a whole website called discoveryeducation.com. And there is one series there about polar bears. It's called Tundra Connections. And um, basically, there are these researchers up in the tundra, and I think this is in Canada. And they just sit around and do research on polar bears and all this really all these cool equipment, you know, these vehicles that are um, specially, you know, designed for them and all of that. And they are taking people through um, using videos and just showing people what they do. And there's even like a Q&A that you can 
chat with them and um, there are activities that you can, if you want to keep extending that learning beyond sort of watching videos, um, they have suggestions on what to do as well. So I really thought that was really neat because how many people ever get a chance to go up to the tundra and do research on polar bears? Um, not very many. <laughs> not very many. And then also not people don't always have the time to sit back and engage and take something like that in, even yeah. if it were available under normal yeah. circumstances. All right, Li Ling, this, this wasn't designed to be a gotcha question, but it just popped into my head. I got to ask. Okay. If I said, Li Ling, 24 hours from now, you need to put together a virtual presentation, bringing people into your home and sharing your unique expertise on something, what would it be? Mm. Well... I think some people in my immediate circle know um, I love to cook, but maybe other people in my professional world don't really know that I love to cook. They know I love to travel. One of the things I really enjoy doing when we travel is to get together with um, an old grandmother or something like that to learn how they make something that I don't really know how to make that's like local to their area. So for example, we, um, when we were in Italy, we were staying at an Airbnb and I kind of asked um, the, the host at the Airbnb, I said, hey, do you know anyone who could come and teach us how to make pasta from scratch? And she's like, oh my God, my aunt who's retired, she worked at this hotel for 30 years and she would totally love to come in and, you know, show you how to make pasta. So she came in and she was teaching our kids, you know, how to do it. And of course, it's like no measurements to anything, but she's like, just cuddle the dough. And, you know, <laughs> like, but she's like showing us like kind of like how she looks for the transparency in, in the pasta. And it, what really struck me about that was just there is so much food and cooking knowledge around the world from different cultures that really live in all these old grandmothers. <laughs> and it doesn't always come through in a cookbook. They don't tell you how the texture of it feels necessarily or lift it up and because it doesn't translate necessarily all that well um, on camera. So anyway, that was super cool. So, um, and I grew up in Singapore, so I love learning how to cook a lot of the local Singaporean food. And I think after Crazy Rich Asians, everyone's always um, interested in Singaporean food suddenly. And um, they want to know right? how to, yeah, how to make different things like chicken rice and different noodles that they saw on the show. So is that what um, they were eating? They were at, they were at like this outdoor cafe right after they arrive in Singapore and they go and they're eating all the street food. Yeah, it's um, so Singapore is uh, has these food courts, which are, different from the food courts here in that they're not all just sort of chain, you know, um, establishments, right? It's all these local people who would normally be, you know, a street vendor who they, uh, they specialize in making like this one type of noodle or, you know, this one kind of soup. And so they really um, took all those people who would normally be on the street because Singapore's really concerned about sanitation and all mm -hmm. of that. And they put them in these food courts, which we call hawker centers. And really, if you go to Singapore, the best local food is in a hawker center. Um, and that's what most people who live overseas, like I do, that's what we crave when we go home, right? Mm. And um, so, yes, 
it's very exciting to go home and go to Hawker Center. <laughs> I visited Singapore. I was 17. And I remember at least at the time, and maybe it's still the case, you couldn't chew gum in public. Mm-hmm. So we, I had some gum with me and we had to chew it in the, in the hotel because it was yeah. verboten to chew gum in public. At your, about, you're talking about the sanitation. I mean, I've never yes. seen a cleaner city. Yeah, I. Uh, it's funny because when we go to New York, you know how like there's all these pieces of black gum all over the sidewalk. It's like become the pattern of the sidewalk. And my kids always ask like, why did they ban chewing gum in Singapore? And when we went to New York, I was like, that's, that's, <laughs> that's why. why. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me about growing up in, in Singapore. Um. You know, it's kind know. of very, it's a very, it's, it's a very open-ended very question. Broad me, topic. Uh, yeah, it is. So you, so you, you're, you're born, you're born in Singapore. Tell me about how the, just growing up in, you talked about in, in your bio about camping in Malaysia. Tell me about how you, mm. you, you traveled as a child. What's, you know, what the, the environment was like in yeah. Singapore for you as a kid and how that shaped who you grew into as an adult. Yeah. So I have lived in the States for about, um, 26 years now. So what I think people don't really realize is that the Singapore that they see today is very, very different from the Singapore that I grew up in and also very different from the Singapore that my parents grew up in. Um, You know, Singapore has just developed so quickly from a developing nation when my parents were um, children. And then by the time I was, um, you know, a young person, it was really sort of almost coming into developed nation status. And now it's like one of the most modern cities in the world. Um, so I think what, when I think of Singapore and growing up there, I think of this really um, safe place. I think that was one of the most remarkable things. And I don't really think I appreciated it until I came to the States and, you know, there's so many things about your home, the hometown that you grew up in that you don't really um, savor until you're right. in a different environment, right? And um, <laughs> that was definitely one of those because I moved from Singapore to West Philadelphia. And at that time, uh, West Philadelphia was not the kind of place that you want to go hang out in. It's, it's different now. It's gentrified a lot. But um, yeah, at that time, it was like, you know, there was like campus police everywhere and it passed a certain time, like you would never walk on the street by yourself. And that was a huge um, shock and adjustment for me because in Singapore, you know, you could be walking around at 11 p.m. at night as a young person and it would be perfectly fine. You wouldn't run into any issues. I started taking public transportation when I was eight or nine years old to school by myself, you know. Um, I've never seen a gun in Singapore, never been off of drugs, you know, all of those things that we worry so much about for our kids. Those were totally non-issues for me growing up in Singapore. So it was a very wonderful way to grow up, except for school was intense. (laughs) Well, you moved to where the fresh Prince of Bel-Air grew up. Yes. West Philadelphia, born and raised, right? (laughs) That's right. So that's it. So going back, so now that you take your, I assume you take your kids back to Singapore from time to time. What's their experience when you take them to your home? Mm. See where mom grew up. Yeah. Um, You know, it's so weird because Singapore, as I said, changes so much. There are very, very few 
areas that feel the same to me. Mm, interesting. Um, I, I can literally walk to a street corner and just stare up at the, I'm like, this is not familiar. Right. What used to be something here. Something else was here. <laughs> yeah, something else. And I have to kind of recall um, what it was like. And even the school that I, I went to as a child is no longer where that school um, meets anymore. So uh, it, I think really the connection is to food and people um, for us. And my kids love Singaporean food. And I think as they have grown up more and more, um, they love it more and more so in the beginning i think when they were little they couldn't quite appreciate all the flavors but um as i've cooked it more um for them at home they've they now really crave it and they want to know like what does a, a singaporean fishball really feel like you know because they've seen me obsess about trying to find the perfect fishball here which is impossible that you just it's just not the same <laughs> <laughs> I always wondered if that was true. If people were, when people say, "Oh, it's just not the same here," if if they were just just saying that to sound pompous, or if it was really true. Apparently, it's really true. Yeah, I think there's certain things that you can recreate, and then there's certain things that are harder to recreate. You know, maybe because, um, like for example, let's take the example of a fishball, right? Something so simple, but most people would not make it at home. They would go to the market and then well, they let's have let's stop these, you, let me stop yeah. you right there. So I can visualize at least conceptually what a fishball might be, but I don't know exactly. So if you could just describe what a fishball okay. is before you move on. Okay. So if you imagine an Italian meatball, right, it's like ground up meat that has been kind of stirred around so much that it has almost like a bouncy texture to it. Okay. And a fishball is similar but it's made out of fish instead of ground meat or pork. Um, but this texture doesn't feel like fish. The texture feels like a, um, oh gosh, there is nothing like it. Feel, it. it feels like, like a fishball. <laughs> it feels like a fishball. It literally can bounce on a table. It is has that really lovely texture. But Will you, you send can, me a recipe? Or, or no, just... I, I cannot because I have not been able to reproduce this fishball. And it, oh, it man, it's the kind of thing that you have to go to the wet market. And there is one the man or guy, a woman or whatever, who they specialize in making fishballs. And oftentimes they do it by hand. And you can buy fishballs here in the States and they are always frozen. And somehow the freezing changes the texture they're not they are still bouncy but they are missing they're missing something and it's almost like in between a a, a bouncy fishball and tofu and it's I, I we i just can't get that texture and it's frustrating and i've made my whole kitchen stink of fish trying to reproduce it and nada Cannot cannot do it. So, so that's one all the work, all the stink, <laughs> and you couldn't even you couldn't no. nail the fishball. That is that's disappointing. <laughs> but you know what? A for effort, Li Ling. I think that's amazing that you tried. And if you ever do crack that code on the fishball, I think you're going to have a lot of fans on your hands here <laughs> in the U.S. who haven't been able to do it. Yes. So let's talk about family travel. I think we know the status of family travel right now. Mm-hmm. There is none for the most part. Yeah. At least yeah. not that isn't being done virtually. What do you think that this time spent in the four walls of our homes is going to do on the general appetite 
of families and people in general really to travel once this black cloud lifts? I mean, I can speak for myself that we are already feeling pretty cooped up in <laughs> in our town. Um, we live in along um, Highway One in Pacifica, and it's you know it's a town of about forty thousand people, and we have beautiful beaches and lovely trails, and so getting outdoors is not hard for us. So we had you know, I feel like we are very, very fortunate to have to shelter in place in a town like we live in. But at the same time, I'm, I want to go beyond. I already feel like it's too small. I don't know what it is. It's like, oh my God, it's been two weeks since I've been outside the boundaries of like the south side of Pacifica, you know, <laughs> to the grocery store and back, to the hiking trail and back. And that's about it. So I think that you know, after we've all been doing that for a good number of months, everyone's going to feel very cooped up and wanting to explore beyond whether it's, you know, into the rest of your state or um, further beyond that. I think there will still be some nervousness about air travel for a little while. Um, but hopefully, um, if we have been planning um, where we want to go next when all the restrictions are lifted, there are going to be some pretty amazing deals out there. So if I had to recommend people dealing with their feeling of cooped upness, I would say spend the time to dream and start planning because you want to be ready for when all those deals come up and you can, you know, snap it up right away. So yeah, I imagine, I'm just imagining, I'm right there with you. All these, I, there are going to be deals probably like we've never seen or haven't mm -hmm. seen in a long time. And being able to make heads or tails of those deals, I think people like you and others in the travel industry, travel advisors in particular, are mm -hmm. going to have uh, suddenly play a much larger role, I think, in helping people sort through all this stuff. We're just, we just, we can't go everywhere. We can't do all the things and take advantage of all the deals and just having experts help us sort kind of sort yeah. through those deals is going to be a very and valuable you, resource. Yeah, for sure. And we have our inboxes constantly being filled with, you know, announcements of different um, resorts and different um, operators that are offering their deals. And so in some ways, our job is to really curate all of that. And I know um, Charlene, who is our editor-in-chief, she has a Facebook group um, that's all about family travel deals. So we maybe could provide a little link to that. Um, and people, you know, family she's, travel deals and tips. I will absolutely yes, put a link to that yeah. in the show notes at familytravel.org slash radio. Yeah. And, um, of course the, the, um, travel advisors have really shown their, their, their worth through all of this. I know so many of them who have been working for hours without, you know, getting paid really to help their clients to rebook everything or to work their relationships so that people don't lose those deposits and they are really kind of keeping their ear to the ground of which destinations uh, are closing and you know all the different nuances so they're going to be the first to know when something someplace is safe so I think kind of finding that trusted travel advisor who you really um, know has your best interests at heart um, is 
is going to be a wonderful, wonderful resource for people. I couldn't agree with you more. And and thanks so much for putting Family Traveler's best interests at heart with uh, with what you're doing on the website right now. Like I said, you've got 60, over 60 online learning resources and that you're adding to that list all the time. That's over at trekaroo.com. I'll have the link for that so you can go uh-huh. directly to that site and check out what Lee Ling's got going on over there. I'll put that link in the show notes at familytravel.org slash radio. I'll also put a link to family travel deals and tips. And you got to help me get Charlene on this podcast, Lee Ling. I've been trying. She keeps blowing me off. What's going on? <laughs> I don't know. I will definitely give a put in a word for you Aaron. Do I have to contact your agent like what's the deal is this a payola situation yeah I know I think the other thing that I've been thinking about doing um and I would love to know what you think of it is um we work with a lot of different um operators um in different countries who we've either traveled with before or we actually have a partnership with them like Stephanie from um, Costa Rica Family Holidays and Coulter, who's in Peru. And I've been checking in with all of them because it's just such a remarkable time right now that everyone is going through all of this at the same time. And it's really interesting to get that human perspective on how people around the world are experiencing this same phenomenon, but also their different cultures and different um, situations uh, provide a different experience of it as well. So like I was talking to Stephanie yesterday and she say, she was saying she lives in, um, in the capital of Costa Rica, San Jose, but um, they also have a farm that's just an hour away. And she's like, oh yeah, well, we're going to head over to our farm and we're going to spend the weekend there um, just milking cows and running out in nature. Um, And they live with the extended family, which is, you know, rare for an American. Um, So I think their their experience of it is a little bit different with the grandparents right in the home and um, having to take care of, you know, isolating because they're living with grandparents. So I'm going to try to get on a call with her and do maybe a, a video of, what it's like with them, you know, and they're, they're sheltering in place and um, maybe see what they are cooking. <laughs> there you go. What's cooking, Stephanie? Yeah, and same with uh, Peru. I think they, they've they actually um, been much more strict. Both countries have been much more strict with, than the U.S. and how they are locking down everything. And um, I know, you know, some of the operators are just bending over backwards. They have had to charter flights out of Peru, private flights out of Peru, and, you know, getting people home. And so they've been working their butts off, but I think most of their people are generally out of the country now. And so they're focusing on family. And I was like, ooh, I want to know how to cook all the cool Peruvian food that you guys are making. So, um, yeah, I think that would be, you know, it's, it's a fun way to kind of engage with people around the world and see what they're doing. What do you think? <laughs> well, I think it's a fabulous idea and so fabulous, in fact, that I've been working on something similar with uh, my friend Rich D'Ambrosio, who I know you know. Yeah. We've been, we've been talking to people all over the planet, Stephanie included, yeah. and she told me that she's just working on things that she doesn't normally get to work on because she is that she's normally so busy with, with the business. Yeah. And But yeah, th- I, th- I think this is such a great time to, to tell those stories and be able to engage with people around the world who you may not have 
normally have the time to, like you said earlier on in the conversation, talking, mm-hmm. reconnecting with old friends and then connecting with destinations and people in those destinations, mm-hmm. you know, locals to, to show you what it think, what life is like in their, you know, wherever they happen to be. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's pretty fascinating. And, and it's so interesting that we all, like you said, you said it several times and it's so true that we're all going through something as uh, as a human race, probably mm-hmm. perhaps for the first time ever. Right. And like we, we have something, no matter how different we might be or how many miles separate separate us, there is this one common thread right now. Yeah. And it's unfortunately it's the coronavirus, but we, right. we all are connected by that. And the technology allows us to actually get an insight into what the experience is like all over the world. I think that's it's the first time that our technology has been, you know, so available to just the common person, right? It's not, it's not like you have to see it through the lens of a journalist. Mm-hmm. You can actually really connect with people all around the world and everyone's just sitting at home. So they're bored out of their minds. <laughs> right. And most all of us have a live TV studio in our pockets these days. Yes. And as long as the cell towers stay up and Zoom meeting doesn't crash, which it hasn't. I've been so impressed with all the new yes. users that Zoom's been adding over the last few weeks that it's been working beautifully. I've been using Zoom for a couple mm-hmm. of years now, and now I feel like I'm this, you know, I have this unique skill because now I'm teaching everyone else how to use it who suddenly needs I to know. learn. I know. Yeah, it's funny because, yeah, my whole team is remote. We've been using Zoom since the, I think they first started. And and everyone's suddenly like discovering it for the first time. And I'm just like, oh, yeah, I can totally show you how to do that. <laughs> right. I actually reached out to the principal of my kid's school because they were having so many technical difficulties the first couple of days. And I said, hey, I, I do this for a living. If you need any help, let me know. So he's kind of been sending me these little support questions here and there. They've tapered off because I think they've, they've got it down now. But it, it was a real struggle. They had The teachers had a weekend to figure it out. They sent everybody home on a Friday and virtual learning started on Monday. So they had to get all the technology in place and train up the teachers as quick as they, as much as they could in two days. And it was a lot of trial by fire, but they've seemed to have a decent handle on it now, but the technology again, very grateful for it. It's, it's been a lifesaver. Yes. Yes. And how about, um, you guys, are you guys being able to get out into nature at all in your town or have they closed everything down? We can get out. So we're right by the American River mm-hmm. and we can go to it's it's highly discouraged. There's not a no official lockdown. I don't think we have a curfew here in Sacramento County, but just, people aren't really out. But we go out. We walk the neighborhood. We go to the park. I go out early in the morning with my dog. And like I went out this morning. I was I went on a mile same mile loop that I do uh-huh. all the time. I saw one car and I saw two other people walking dogs. And wow. I was at, in, in, a, in a mile, you know, 15, 20 minute walk. Wow. On a Sunday morning, it was it was creepy in a way. Yeah, but, but I was grateful for the exercise. My dog was too. I, I was a little bit grateful when I woke up this morning and it was raining because last weekend um, they had not closed the beaches and they had not closed the parks yet, and they have in our county now. They have closed um, our county parks. They've closed all the beaches. Um, so there were actually a lot of people out last weekend and I was had to sit there and think, hmm, what are the local places that people from out of town don't know about? Um, because the, the parking lots were just jam packed with people. I'm just like, you would not think we have a shelter in place going on. Seriously. Um, but um, this, this weekend, I think it is, it is, feels very different. I think partly because of the rain and partly because I think people 
are having to stay home a lot more. Well, I saw on the news, like I, I live just in Sacramento, about 90, 100 miles away from where Li Ling is in Pacifica. I saw on the, our local news about how many people were flooding to like Pacifica and Half Moon Bay as, as tourists, just to get out of their house thinking, oh, this is an appropriate thing to do. And that the locals in those towns were like, no, get lost. Please, you know, come back when, when the, the virus is gone, but please. And it was, it was kind of nuts. The traffic jams, it was just not like anything you'd see in most places. Most places are uh-huh. ghost towns, but everyone yeah. headed to the coast. Has that, so he sounds like that's tapered off a bit. Um, yeah, it definitely has because they've closed up all the parking lots here. Um, all the beach parking That'll lots. That'll do it. Yep. So I think, you know, obviously as a local, you can still get out on a beach. There's no, there's no gates or anything like that. But um, at least it gets all the out-of-town traffic out, out of here, which I think is the main goal um, for closing up the natural areas. It's a little bit sad, though, because all of us need fresh air and we all want to be able to get some exercise. But hopefully if we all kind of... Uh, band together, this will be over sooner rather than later. Um, so yes, for the for the long-term benefit. In the meantime, we will explore virtually. <laughs> right. Let's just, let's go out on that high note here, Li Ling, and just remind our, our <laughs> listeners out there, this is a wonderful time to engage in our shared humanity across all of our different countries and cultures. And even though we're physically separated, We've never been more connected as a planet. Let's just let's just go forward with that. And yep. we'll be back out there soon enough in Li Ling. We're going to have you back on the show, hopefully sooner than later. Once this black cloud of coronavirus is lifted, we can start talking about some real non-virtual family yes. travel. Li Ling Peng from Trekaroo.com. Really appreciate you taking the time on Family Travel Radio. It's been very fun chatting with you, Aaron. You know that there's more to life than your work. But do your kids know? Last year, 55% of American parents didn't use all their vacation days. Taking time off to travel lets you show your kids different sides of the world and different sides of yourself, like the side that does things like this. Family travel is easier and more affordable than you might think. You brought them into this world, now show it to them. Discover the possibilities at familytravel.org. Hey, it's Aaron Schlein. I really hope you enjoyed this episode of Family Travel Radio. All the notes for this episode and for every episode of the podcast are available at familytravel.org slash radio. All right, my friend, until we meet again, this is Aaron Schlein for Family Travel Radio, and I am signing off. Family Travel Radio.